You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, and this is the first edition of 2024 of Weekend Conversations. Each week, I'm going to take a deep dive into an article or interview that I shared during the week, often a Friday forward. And joining me to help lead this is Mick Sloan, co-producer of the Elevate Podcast. Happy New Year, Mick. Happy New Year, Bob. Yeah. So we're going to kick off uh, the first Friday forward of 2024, which is called uh, Nothing New. Why don't you... uh, get us started. Yeah. So as you said, this is a real celebration of the new year and the dawn of 2024. What are some things that you're hoping for in 2024? I'm hoping for uh, a little more consistency and a little less chaos. Um, I think the last couple years have been sort of summarized by exogenous shocks, whether they are economic or geopolitical or or otherwise. I think people want to just like plan for a quarter or plan for a year and be able to execute without having to make all these adjustments. There's always adjustments, but feels like the last couple of years have just been a, a whirlwind of, of highs and lows and supply and demand and otherwise. Well, I obviously hope for the same. We'll see how that works out for us. But that's a pretty fitting sentiment to kick us off because this is really about annual planning, goal setting, stuff like that. So Longtime readers of Friday Forward will recognize this as your annual rebuke of New Year's resolutions. <laughs> Why do you despise these uh, common, warmly held traditions? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure I despise it. I just don't think it's very effective. So one of my jobs uh, for a couple of years when I was out of college was uh, located across the street from a gold's gym. And so I had a pretty good look at this every January. The parking lots were filled. We couldn't park in our spaces because everyone was in there. And then no one's there by the beginning of, of February. And so I think the notion of a resolution where I'm going to make all these huge fundamental changes, I'm going to change who I am, everything's going to change just because I say it, I just don't think that carries a lot of water and carries a lot of weight. Um, so you know, we'll talk about this, but I think there are some reasons why New Year's is is kind of effective from a timing standpoint and, and a planning, but resolving to change your whole life on January 1st probably won't do much. Yeah, and I think it's also a lot of New Year's resolutions are things like, oh, I'm going to go to the gym every single day, or yeah. I'm going to never eat dessert, or I'm going to do all of these sort of absolutist things. And those types of things as you might expect, the first time you stray from that, there's that defeated sense of wondering if it's worth it at all. Yeah. I mean, let's think about, you know, po- popular trend two is is dry January. And why dry January? Because people have probably overconsumed alcohol and added weight in December, right? And so the healthier choice would not be a yo-yo thing like let's call it, I don't know, wet December and dry January, but we'd be able to say, you know what, this year, like I am actually going to, I want to cut back my consumption of alcohol 30% across the whole year, because I think that's the healthy thing to do. And here, here's my commitment and strategies to do that. And it's based on a longer term commitment to health. Again, I, I think the problem with a lot of resolutions is they're not based on sort of something that's sustainable. Our motivation tends to wane as we get closer to sort of a short-term goal rather than it being part of something bigger we're trying to achieve. 
So I want to talk a bit, because as you said, the beginning of the year is a portion of the year where Daniel Pink, for example, talked about this in his book, When. It's just a natural period of higher motivation. And you've talked about basically your own planning process a bit, what you do at the beginning of the year. Can you give a bit of a peek behind the curtain of, say, your one-page plan of goals, how much time you spend on that, stuff like that? Yeah, so I'll keep notes throughout the year, but I use the last week of the year, and I've evolved this practice over the years. Um, I have this whole life dashboard, which is on the website if people want to download that I keep on an ongoing basis. But I, I made a change a few years ago based on some of the work on the uh, the one thing by uh, Jeff Woods and, and Gary Keller, and realizing that like having too many. I used to have a quadrant. It was personal, professional, family, community, and then I pick like four goals in each. And so that's sort of like 12 goals. And the data is just clearly it's it's too many. And a lot of them were really reasons. So like, why do I want to ride a 5K? Because maybe I want to be in the best health of my life or I want to get over some systemic health problem that I have or otherwise. And so thinking about just what are three or four or five like high level goals that tie to my values and things that I really want to do. And then a lot of the other things that might've been goals become kind of tactics in that. So, and, and they kind of go into it, which is, you know, rather than winning an award for a book, like, why do I want to do that? Well, I really want to elevate my thought leadership platform to a certain level. And so the five ways that I could do that are kind of X, Y, and Z. And what became clear about the one thing was more, and and again, it's not just one, you know, I kind of end up on four or five, but they do cover that sort of personal, family, professional, otherwise. Um, The tactics are that, they're just tactics. And by the way, that's what I, that was the problem I had before. I can switch out a tactic if I find that it's more effective to get me to the goal if I'm like going to do a 5k and then years ago I had, there was some, I always try to pick a physical thing. I haven't done that year. And years ago I had some objective. I can't remember. I think maybe it was a, a triathlon Olympic, but then I had this opportunity to bike from London to Paris. Right. And I felt bad about giving up on that other goal. Well, if I thought about it was, the goal was really about health and wellness And part of that goal is challenging myself to do something I haven't done before because I also know that when I commit to do one of these things, it leads to months of training. And so I shouldn't have held myself to this arbitrary thing when the other thing was accomplishing the same. So that sort of freed me to make tactics more fungible but keep goals the same. And what I started to realize is pick five or six tactics that if you do all of them, the goal should be achieved. And so it's you you might not have a goal of say running a half marathon but you might have a goal of ending 2024 healthier than how you began it and training for and running a half marathon could be a tactic in support of that is that kind of the way you think about it yeah and maybe you know i have some smart you know as i've gotten an apple watch like maybe i want to objectively for me if ending the year at peak fitness would be you know a certain resting heart rate a certain hrv a certain weight so I can then also know that, well, what are the ways that I can get there? Well, committing to training or working out or these things or eating healthily. Yeah. So the goal remains, and there's a reason for that goal, right? And health and wellness is a core value of mine. I think I, I don't want to be dogmatic about how I get there. And so a lot of times it's, again, why, you say something like, why do I really want some, Why do I want this award? 
if the award is helping me towards something bigger, I should be clear about what that bigger is because maybe I can get there without that award. Again, maybe I'm focused on the wrong input. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space, and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate. So how do you, when you think about it, how do you determine if something is one of the big things that really matters versus something that ought to be discarded so you don't get distracted from those big things? So I list a bunch of stuff. And then at the end of the year, I go and I sort of group the stuff together into themes. And I look back at my sort of one year and three year, my whole life dashboard kind of plan. And and then I look at how it aligns to that. It's a little bit art and a little bit science, but I try to group it together. And I say, which one of these things, is it really important? Is it part of something else? Can it go? Is it just something I would like to do? But again, those three or four things, it leaves me kind of maybe one across family, one across you know, personal and professional or community. So it just narrows it down to what do I believe is the most important thing I could accomplish this year? And is that, that's usually a down payment on something that I wanted over a three or a five or a 10 year period. I think the problem again with the resolutions is a lot of us are good at setting these short-term goals, getting there. They don't align to anything. They're scattered in a bunch of different directions. I see it more as down payments on, on sort of what it is that I want most. Can you share an example of something that you thought of as a potential goal that you cut from the list? Uh, What did I cut? I don't know that I cut something, but it got more into tactics. So I can't, this was part of last year and this year, but I really wanted to like uh, get back to a certain number of 
live concerts after COVID. But when I dug into that, I was like, it really wasn't about the concerts. It was about relationships and spending time with people. And so I kind of reverse engineered, how do I spend a certain amount of time with my most important relationships? And then I picked a bunch of activities that would serve that objective, knowing that there'd be new opportunities. But when I looked at it that way, it was totally different than the goal is to go to three concerts. Well, like, again, why? Concerts was, I want to do something I enjoy with people I enjoy. That was really about my most important relationships. And so the goal became around. So one of the tactics was actually, it was after COVID, it was like 20 lunches and dinners um, with people in person that I had not been able to connect to through COVID. Now, again, that would be a hollow goal. Like that, it was about connection and relationships. It wasn't about how many lunches I could have. I like that. So it's, it's just a natural self-questioning of when you have an idea for a goal, you think, why do I want to do this? And then is there something that might better serve that? Or is it really the, the right goal to reach that thing? Yeah, I, I always sort of have some goal around relationships now, my most important relationships. And then I think of different ways that that could happen, whether that's a trip of each of my kids, whether it's a trip with my wife, whether it's a reunion with my college friends, which we did last year, whether it's going to three concerts, which means scheduling with a bunch of people. Again, I, I think I've gotten more clarity on the chicken and the egg. So I want to b- talk about tactics and how tactics can build on each other and create that kind of domino effect. Can you explain what the domino effect is and why it's so effective? Yeah, there's the domino effect and then there's the kind of prism and laser concept. I think a lot of us, look, no one has more than 24 hours in the day. Some people seem to be much more incredibly effective than others, but they haven't figured out a way to get more hours in the day. I think the difference is they just focus that time in one direction and they focus it on something that really matters to them is that is, and that is important. So you can take the same amount of energy and put it through a prism and you'll have a really pretty light show in a million places. Whereas you focus it on a laser, it could probably cut um, some metal. I think a lot of us are the prism. A lot of us are kind of things falling down in different directions. If you think about the domino analogy with this notion of tactic and goal, if you pick the right tactics and you say all the tactics were completed, the goal domino will fall. Each domino, just a board game domino, can knock down a domino that is half of its size bigger, so 50% bigger by the force of the energy. If you were to stack all those up, it would actually only take 29 dominoes being 50% bigger to knock down the Empire State Building. To me, it just kind of shows the power of the difference between energy in one direction, energy in all others. People who say they're busy, they don't have time, they can't, they are mostly lying to themselves. I think we use, you know, math, you know, if you take a half hour a day that you are doom scrolling through Facebook, looking at other people's food or doing stuff, and you apply that for 90 days to one thing, 2,700 minutes, that you don't even know where it went. It's like gone every day, 30 minutes, you know, just doing that. But if you took 2,700 minutes and you applied that to working out, to writing the first three chapters of your book, to learning a language, you would have accomplished something substantial. So I I think some of the most successful and productive people, they don't have more hours in a day. They just make sure their time repeatedly goes to the things that they've deemed are most important. And they know where their leaks are and their losses are. Anyone who tells me they're too busy, whatever, otherwise, it's a common thing of business coaches and otherwise to do a calendar audit. And almost any time they do that, you find just tons of time going to things that 
weren't important or didn't matter, but, but you just weren't being honest with yourself around that. Yeah. And actually I, I thought of a third analogy that I think is really pertinent here of the really famous, it's a video of a jar and someone has a bunch of golf balls and a bunch of sand. And you can start by putting the sand in, then there's not room for the golf balls, and you or you can put the golf balls in, and then the sand kind of fills in the cracks. And the type of people that you're talking about who like really, really have their focus and their priorities set right, think of that as starting with the golf balls, and they take like the empty jar that is their day, that is their schedule, and they put the stuff that they absolutely need to focus on first. And acknowledge that while there might also be some time that like bleeds into things that aren't productive, you're still getting the golf balls in the jar, no matter what else gets in there. Yeah, look, we, we've written on this, and we can provide the link, but this correlates a lot to the concept of, of calendar blocking, which is what I see the most productive people doing, which is, look, take that list, take the goals and the things you said more important. And you know, if I said, if I said it's my relationships and spending time with the people that matter most, well... I'm going to make that color red and I'm going to book those things in my calendar. Those are the golf balls. So people who are not good with their time, give their calendars to other people. It's why I don't like that calendar time to them. They say, take whatever time is available. I think highly productive and more the successful people I've met, they use the blocking, which says, I'm going to put in all of my golf balls first onto my calendar, whether that's 90 days at a time or a year or six months. And then you can have the sand once the golf balls are there. Because even something as you think time is just going to to work out, it's just going to materialize. It's not. Like it needs – I work out when working out is on my calendar and it's built into my schedule. And so if that's important to me and that event is and it's the goal, then that's got to be the orange color. And I guess should look at my calendar each week and those colors and blocks should be represented by all the things on my goal list for the year. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. So obviously, you know, when someone makes a new year's resolution, no one's new year's resolution is to spend an hour a day scrolling on Instagram. <laughs> and this stuff happens <laughs> Maybe for to some people. people it is because that's a 66% reduction. Um, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> fair enough. But 
But what I mean to say is essentially that a lot of people slip into these types of poor uses of time. How do you hold yourself accountable to make sure that you don't fall into that trap? So Marshall Goldsmith, one of the top leadership coaches in the world, uh, someone I've spent some time with, incredibly disciplined, works with all the most amazing people. He talks about in his movie or one of his books, but I saw the documentary, he has someone call him every night. He pays someone to call him to make sure he did the things that he needed to do that day, like the checklist to read off the account. And he said, look, I know this stuff is hard. I know the accountability is important. So this is where I kind of like the morning routine. I like taking out that goal sheet. I like, uh, you can't see it now, but I'll hold out. I have my sort of whole life dashboard and my goal sheet. And, and I kind of find that I need that recalibration every morning. So, hey, I'm going to look at the quarterly goals. I'm going to pick three things I can do that day towards the goals. I can, I'm going to look and see where I'm really off. I, to me, actually, the alignment is really important. And that constant recalibration of by each day, I, I'm kind of redirecting the boat a little bit, right? It got off 1%, you know, last night, but I'm, I'm pointing it straight again. And I'm saying when I wake up tomorrow, as I did today, here are the three things that I need to make sure that I get done tomorrow. And they're all tied to quarterly goals. So it, it's kind of like some people don't uh, have a budget because they save what they want to save and then they spend the rest. It's kind of the same thing, right? Where I can say, look, if I, if I just keep doing the three things every day, so 90 days, the 180 things towards my goal, then I can waste my other time. It doesn't matter. I've at least made sure that I've got the, the, the laser and the domino focused on a couple of things that matter most. Yeah, and even I, I know some people will block that type of thing even on their calendar, and they'll say, "Today I did all three things. Yesterday I didn't. The day before I did." And to your point, like you can start to see if you're falling off track. Like you can see the lost days adding up. Yeah, it's a self accountability. Look, I don't. That's why I don't believe in the big statements, or even when I speak and I talk about the capacity building, all the things people can do. I'm like, don't go say you're going to do all of this. Pick one or two things, go do it, and then let the virtuous cycle. So if you want to make an improvement today, like just try this. In the morning, figure out your annual goals, figure out the quarterly goals, which should be down payments on your annual goals, just like a company would plan. And then each morning, look at those goals and say, what is something I could do towards that Make a list of three, maybe do it the night before and put it on your calendar for the next morning and then put one of these spots in your calendar that says top three. And I would suggest unless you're a night owl, you do it at 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. in the morning. Like that way, whatever happens in the afternoon, whatever goes wrong or otherwise, you know, the longer the day, the more likely the crisis, you at least can make sure those are done first. So I know I'm best around cognitive reading and writing and otherwise. So mo a lot of my things are having to deliver something or finish something. So I, I always schedule it for the morning where possible. So you've alluded a couple of times to the value of a morning routine. Can you talk a little bit about why that's been important to you personally? Can you share sort of the before and after of like Bob pre-morning routine and Bob post-morning routine? I don't even remember pre-morning routine. I probably was in the young kid's age and it was totally chaos. Uh, it probably was me waking up. This was before email notifications and cell phones and that distraction. Waking up and just dealing with emails, right? And responding to emails, responding to other people's priorities, uh, getting sucked into whatever that email or that thing was. Because look, most of us, 
we respond to threats. We respond to things coming at us. My thing is once you turn that on and look at it, it's going to be hard not to jump into it, even if it's not important, particularly in a service industry or client industry. Otherwise, the only way to insulate yourself from that is to play offense before you play defense. And your email and your cell phone and your text and all that stuff is defense. As soon as you turn on, you're going to blow up with other people's priorities and needs. Yeah, and to that point, I'd say very, very low percentage of the time does someone send an email at 1130 at night that says, I have great news for you that you're going to love to see in the morning. Yes, it's big with Nigerian princes uh, who have a, a fortune for you to claim. And, and so what's your morning routine look like now? Look, I've gotten away from it a little bit. I write so much in the morning that that I kind of got away from the routine. But one of my commitments for this year was to get back to it. It was to get back to going over that list for five or 10 minutes, writing in a journal, you know, going for a quick run, getting some exercise, kind of trying to do as much as I can around Hal Elrod's Miracle Morning and the Savers, because I believe in that. Not turning on the news to start, not looking at uh, my phone, which was hard in the last couple of months and some of the Israel stuff and otherwise. But that's been my recommitment, which is I'm kind of rededicating to get back to that morning discipline, some of which I lost with everything going on towards the end of last year. I think that setting up a morning routine and like beginning in that kind of proactive way, that can be challenging for some people. That can be especially, I know, challenging for parents, especially of young kids. How do you sort of objection handle when people that you coach on this stuff say that they can't do this type of morning routine? Yeah, so Hal and I talked about this and he had a similar experience, which was we would even, we do our leadership training and we do it offsite. We'd have people kind of do that morning routine. They say, I absolutely loved it, but I've got you know young kids as I used to have who come into my alarm clock. And inevitably, you say to people, how's that working for you? And they're like, it sucks. Like, you know, it's not a great way to be start your day as someone screaming at you or hitting you on the head. Or now, somehow, this is what my dog does because he's he started sleeping with my son and he comes in in the morning and bangs on my arm on the bed when he wants to get on at, at six in the morning. So I've got to put a stop to this somehow. Um, but we, we kind of challenge people and we're like, look. Even if it's 5.30 or 5.45, you can afford 10 minutes. You can afford 10 or 15 minutes. Set your alarm 10 or 15 minutes before the natural alarm goes off. Make yourself a cup of coffee. Grab the paper. Sit in the kitchen. Write something. Have a few minutes. See how that works. And the answer was always, that was like amazing and life-changing. And actually, they end up making a lot more time than they thought or go to bed early. Because most people don't realize the defensive nature of their morning routine. And when they switch to an offensive morning routine and see the difference, they really don't want to go back. And I think you can get a lot of those 80, 20 rules. Again, even just 15 minutes of that benefit of, are you going to be your best self when someone kind of walks in and smacks you or, you know, you've gotten up, you've had a cup of coffee, you're kind of had some quiet time and you're ready to like welcome them with open arms. Yeah, it's really well said. And I, I think that people don't, this is the type of thing that like it works so fast when you do it, but you really can't appreciate how game changing it is until you actually try it for yourself. Yeah. So again, you want to stack on a couple of few things in the next week. We talked about the goal thing. You can do that during that 15 minutes, wake up early, make your coffee, tea, whatever you like to do uh, to wake up and don't turn on your cell phone and just turn off your cell phone 45 minutes, an hour before you go to bed, 
those small changes will completely change your sleep and your morning. And again, your your goal is to play offense. What is it that you wanted to think about? What is it that you want to do? How do you turn off the outside world coming to you with all these things that they want your attention for? And by the way, that they get paid a lot of money to get your attention for in some cases. Absolutely. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. So let's pivot to another tactic that you describe in the post, which is vision boarding. Can you talk about how your family got into this and why you all enjoy it? Yeah. So the first time I heard of vision boarding and the Oprah contacts, I was like, that's absolutely like ridiculous. I'm not doing that. And then I heard someone talk about doing it with their family and the power of it. And so I think we started seven or eight years ago uh, where we buy a ton of magazines. We got these foam boards and, and we started with the kids on setting goals and kind of cutting out images, pictures, things that represented their goals and kind of making these as a family. And it's become a New Year's tradition. I go on Amazon, I order the same boards. The challenge has been, it's really hard to get magazines. <laughs> um, now, if you go into a CVS or a Walgreens, there are all these strange special edition magazines about one person. So we try to collect them throughout the years in airports and stuff like that. It's actually, that is the one real challenge uh, over the years. But I, I have almost nine or 10 years of these boards now. And it's fascinating to go back and look at some of these things and see what happened. And the kids have had the experience of putting things up there and seeing it happen. And I think it makes it a lot more fun for kids and a family to think about goals. So I, I have to get my goals done before I do that because I try to find imagery that represents a lot of those. Um, so uh, we've had a commitment to get them done in the first week. We, we do a lot on New Year's Day. It's a whole mess. There's stuff all over the place. But we let them go on too long uh, last year. So we have a goal kind of before my daughter goes back to school to have everyone have those wrapped up. And then the kids put them up in their room. And it's cool. I have a closet behind my bedroom and I have like 10 years of them kind of up in there now. And it's just really interesting to go in there and look there. And sometimes it's not that year. Sometimes it's a year or two later. But I've told some stories in the Super Bowl story and otherwise where some really weirdly eerie stuff has happened that were on those vision boards. I think it's a really good point about making that type of goal setting exercise more accessible for people. And I think it's especially true for children, but it's really true for everyone. Like if a person sits down and thinks, what are my goals for the year? They might have a hard time getting started. But if you're flipping through a bunch of text or like sentences or images, it's kind of free associative yeah. and something that you might not necessarily think would catch your brain actually catches you and appeals to you yeah and there's so much digital stuff these days that i just like the cutting out and the glue stick and the board and there's something like you know for those who ever had to make a real photo collage before uh that sort of you know is age bracketing statement um but but it's a good creative product we trade words and we compete over them and <laughs> there's a pile in the middle of we don't know how we'll use them um so it's fun are you willing to share one thing on your vision board this year? Uh, it's not totally done yet, but yeah, mine mine is very focused on on health. I had some consistent kind of health things come up last year, and, and so I decided to really center my goals around 
uh, around that this year and trying to eliminate those things permanently. Because uh, as many people have found, uh, you know, when you have one health issue, like everything else seems to become secondary uh, if that kind of takes over your your focus. Um, so uh, that's actually at the front and center of my board. Um, financial and business and otherwise is actually much more secondary um, this year. It's well said. So let's talk about one more tactic that you talk about in the post, which is a stop doing list. Can you talk about why this is so important? Yeah. So when I talk a lot about, when I speak to companies and teams and individuals and we talk about capacity building, one thing I'm very clear to say is like, I am not someone who just believes in more. Like I actually big believer in the 80, 20 rule. And if you're going to sit down and talk about the things that you want to add in a year, um, then I also think for each one of those things, there's something you should remove. And companies are really bad at this. They do new initiatives without saying like, let's be really clear about what are we doing now that just doesn't work. And so um, I think a stop doing list, what am I going to stop doing this year is is equally as important as uh, what am I going to start doing? And there's there tend to be three buckets of of stop doing. I think there's people, <laughs> right, and relationships that and and the whole concept of energy vampires. Um, then there's like things and and singular commitments or you know you said you do back to school night or you said you do the bake sale or whatever it is or something like that um, more more kind of project stuff but then there's like longer term commitments that would be you know you're on a board you're on a committee you're on uh, the HOA or something like that and and those actually tend to be the biggest things of time so I, I think it's helpful to audit across all of those like what what are the relationships. I can pull back from, particularly if I want to do new ones. What are the specific commitments that I made that aren't serving me or any of my, if I look at my goal list, it actually doesn't serve my goals or my values. And then what are the long-term things? And sometimes those are the hardest because of inertia. I've been doing this for a while, but like I've been on this board for three years, but I dread going to these board meetings. Like I'd rather just give money to the organization. I don't want to be, I don't want to be a board member uh, anymore. And so I think all of those are worthy of a, of a closer look. Do you have a favorite example of a thing that you added to your stop doing list at some point that really yielded benefits for you? Yeah. So I actually had been on a board for a long time for an organization uh, whose mission I believed in deeply. But the organization grew. uh, The board became larger. It was more about committees and voting and, and a little bureaucratic. And that's not the stuff that I enjoy. There are people that are much better at that stuff and compliance and otherwise. I'm I'm more entrepreneurial than that. So again, I actually that year I switched. I I left the board of that organization, decided I still believed in its mission, I'd be a donor. And I joined a similar organization, similar mission, but different, much smaller, more entrepreneurial, jumped in, was able to connect a lot more, help them with strategy things. The meetings were not procedural and otherwise. And so I, I had probably been on that board a year too long. But again, it's really hard for us to uh, just stop the things that are going inertia takes over. It's almost like zero-based budgeting. Uh, or people say, you should fire the people on your team that you wouldn't hire today, right? Because inertia takes over. I would look at all your commitments and be like, if, if all of these were canceled and I had to re-sign up for ones today, knowing what I know, w- would I do it? So I haven't thought of that before. Maybe that could be a Friday for zero, zero-based budgeting for commitments. Oh, yeah, that's a perfect, perfect concept. So let's go to the quote of the week, which is from Thomas Edison. 
Opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. Do you own any overalls? <laughs> Don't think I do anymore. My, I tend to get rid of something. I keep something past the point that it's trendy, and then I get rid of it right before it's trendy again. Um, so I don't know where overalls are in that spectrum. So in all seriousness, why does this quote resonate with you? Yeah, look, I I think a lot of the opportunities we have this year are about hard work and repetition and consistency and discipline. It's not some, uh, magic bullet. Uh, you know, if everything, there's not things that are in the high upside, easy bucket, there just really aren't that many of them. Um, so I think the quote is pertinent that there's a ton of things that we can do, but sometimes it requires, you know, strapping on those overalls and just going and doing the work day in and day out. It's not, it's not sexy and you don't even appreciate it until it's, it's done. Wise words. So why don't you take us home? So thanks for joining us today, everyone. If you want to check out the post that we discussed, go to robertglazer.substack.com and look for the post titled Nothing New. Also, keep an eye out for future edition of Weekend Conversations, which will be in your podcast app on Saturday mornings. And if you haven't yet subscribed to the show, follow or subscribe uh, on whatever podcast platform you are listening on today. Until next time, keep elevating. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.